Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Kirkwood-raised musician David Sanborn has won six Grammy Awards and sold millions of albums across a more than 50-year career. Known for his warm sound on alto saxophone, Sanborn has won acclaim as a solo artist and as a collaborator with a long list of stars in the worlds of jazz, rock, and pop. This evening, Jazz St. Louis will honor Sanborn with the inaugural Stewart Center Lifetime Achievement Award in Excellence. Last week, St. Louis Public Radio's Jeremy D. Goodwin had the opportunity to speak with David Sanborn about how growing up and playing music in St. Louis shaped his style. Today, we'd like to bring you part of their conversation. David, you've received many different awards and recognitions in your times. I wonder, what does it mean to you to be honored for your life's work like this in in St. Louis? The fact that uh, I'm getting this uh, award in St. Louis is very meaningful to me. And, uh, you know, just to come back and, you know, every time I go back, I, you know, almost without my having to think about it, I just kind of go back in time and, oh, I remember DeBoliver and, you know, all these street names and bring up all these things, Delmar and all the great jazz clubs that were in St. Louis and East St. Louis. And, uh, you know, I was really formed as a musician by, by the, the, the places and the people that, uh, that were here when I was growing up, you know, and, and being mentored by these older musicians and some, some of whom were my peers and, uh, I feel, you know, very, you know, like kind of full circle kind of a thing, coming back to St. Louis, and, it, and it's a great, with, you know, with great gratitude, I'm, I accept the, you know, the acknowledgement of this. You, you were coming up, you were barely a teenager when you were coming up through a jazz scene that, that doesn't really exist in St. Louis anymore. No. And so when you were going out at 13, 14, seeing an Albert King or seeing Ike and Tina Turner, where, where mm-hmm. was that happening? There, there, there were these, uh, like, I guess you'd call them dances, where I, I grew up in uh, Kirkwood. They, they used to call them teen towns. And uh, there were these, uh, I guess, recreational centers, uh, community centers in, in various places, Sunset Hills. And in the warmer weather, uh, they, the bands would set up outside around a swimming pool. And all these great regional bands came through, people like uh, uh, Little Milton and Albert King. And my friend and I, we, we used to hang out, you know, like at the front of the bandstand, just like completely hypnotized by this music. As it turns out, um, we befriended uh, a keyboard player that was playing with both Little Milton and Albert King. And I, his name was Rick Bolden, and I, and I asked him, I got up my nerve, and I said, hey, could I possibly sit in? So they allowed me to get up stage and, you know, play on stage and, and play these, you know, with the horn section doing stuff like da-da, playing these horn parts. Not very complicated, but um, 
just to be in that situation and be with these musicians and just to feel the power of the music like that was so it was astonishing to me At some point, you you graduated from the the teen towns and that circuit to to Gaslight Square, right? Which, again, is a neighborhood that that isn't there anymore. It started to rebound a little bit. There's a Gaslight Theater and and there's the Blue Strawberry Cabaret uh, house there now. In in that same area? Yeah, right. right, Yes. Yeah. Um, So, but that was packed with clubs. It's described as a sort of bohemian area. what, What was the scene like there and what did that have to do with your development? Well, I mean, as you described it, it was uh, kind of, you know, St. Louis's version of, I guess, Greenwich Village or whatever. But it was this, I think, two or three blocks. It was, I think it was Olive Street, right? Wasn't that the main yep. main drag? Yep. Uh, and then Olive uh, and Boyle, I want to say. Olive and Boyle, yeah. Three yeah. and but there were like what thirty clubs, restaurants venues you know places it was just it was like a carnival you know it was bright lights big city and there was this little club around the corner kind of down a back alley kind of an afterthought it was uh, almost looked like a storage locker you know off a parking lot called the other side and um, it was a very very small club maybe like the size of a shipping container and uh, then there was this great trio playing and uh, one of the regulars there was this guy named Rick Bolden piano player who we had met playing with Albert King and uh, and Little Milton so we went in there and said oh you know reacquainted ourselves with him and you know my friend and I we listened to them a couple of weekends and then I kind of got up my nerve to uh, ask him if I could sit in and uh, they said okay, and I had memorized a, uh, a Sonny Stitt solo, and so I went went in and called the blues and played this solo, and they uh, they were very impressed because they didn't realize that I was not making this solo up. I was just kind of repeating it. Apparently, they had never heard the original, um, so you know they asked me to come back, and I learned more Sonny Stitt solos and. Uh, uh, you know, and just on and on and on, and gradually met other other musicians in the in the area. And I, I think this is maybe a f- just a few years before the Black Artist Movement is is going to start getting going in, in St. Louis. Yes, and Chicago. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Philip Wilson. It was kind was of gonna... an offshoot of the of the AACM. It was an acronym for American Association of Creative Musicians in in Chicago, and and Black Artist Group Bag was the kind of St. Louis version of that. So, David, coming out of that kind of a scene where there's a lot of boundary-pushing <clears throat> stuff going on in that jazz scene, yeah. Um, yeah. You, you get a job with the Paul Butterfield Blues Band pretty early on. I wonder if, yeah. and, and you had the chance to play a, a minor uh, obscure event called Woodstock with, with yes. Butterfield. I wonder if that happening at that point in your life 
how that affected your conception of just how you're going to work in this business, that you can take your chops to some really different sounding places? It was really a learning process, and I think I was lucky in that, you know, there weren't those boundaries then. There was a lot of freedom. And also, you know, there was no YouTube. So you could really, you know, go up and go out on stage and screw up some nights. And it wasn't like a, you know, world premiere event like it is now. You could kind of work stuff out in, in public. And because the scene was so kind of free and open, we had a chance to try a lot of different stuff. It was always exciting. Do you have clear memories of Woodstock? Do you, do you remember that performance or that experience fairly well? Uh, not much. <laughs> yeah. We were supposed to play before the last day. And because things were running so far behind, I think we were supposed to go on at midnight. And we ended, to go up, ended up going on about five in the morning. I don't have a lot of memories of it, except I remember the sun coming up while we were playing. And we were, I think we were playing this blues tune called Everything's Gonna Be Alright. I, I had never seen that many people in one place before in my life. There were still a couple of hundred thousand people when, when we got there. You know, th that, that had been a summer of, you know, a lot of big pop festivals, the Atlanta Pop Festival, the Hollywood, Florida, and uh, that was the culmination of it. And I think a lot of things changed after that. I think, the, you know, it really caught, caught the ear, the attention of the the music business and they saw wow this is a uh, this is a cash cow here you know we can cash in on this youth market so i think in, in some ways it took away some of the luster of it but you know i mean things change and they don't they don't necessarily get better or worse they just get different you know the idea of these music icons or or whatever you choose to call call them you know real giants in the in the music, you know, jazz or whatever the the uh, style of music is, uh, I, I I think it it just it feels different now than it did then. There's so much more fragment. It's so much more fragmented now than it was then. It was more kind of unified. And I think that was the power of the record companies and the promotion machinery and all of that and the, you know distribution of uh, terrestrial radio and all of that. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> it's just not, you know, it's harder to capture a mass audience unless you're playing music that is really, I, I don't, I don't want to say simple because I don't want to denigrate any of the really popular music that's happening now because a lot of it has great value, but there seems to be less real uniqueness and individuality than there did then. There was a lot more cross-fertilization going on. People that people were doing things that had not been done before and combining things in ways that hadn't been done before. I think the only, you know, thing that's happening in that regard is 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 hip hop. 
and rap now. I mean, I think that in terms of innovation, I think that's, you know, a lot of the innovation is happening in that uh, particular genre. But, you know, hey, look, what do I know? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just this alto saxophone player trying to figure out my life and, and just really enjoying the process of, you know, learning something new about music every day. And I think the, the great thing about music is that you never master it. You're always a student. And I think that, you know, you have to maintain a humility about that. There, there's, no, you know, there's no winner here. You know, it's not about winning anything. It's about opening doors. And, you know, I think because jazz is so sophisticated and operates on so many levels at the same time, rhythmically, harmonically, melodically, uh, structurally, that, that everything is in play all the time, or can be. Whereas the other forms of music, let's say more pop-oriented music is, you know, especially the rhythmic orientation is more structured in a way that can be confining. And that you're aware when you're outside of it. You know, whereas jazz, you can really push the boundaries. And I think the possibilities with jazz are, are endless. And I think for, for younger musicians especially, to understand that this is like, you know, this teaches you skills far beyond just the music. It teaches you, you know, ways of thinking, ways of looking at the world you know, and uh, discipline and, and organization and uh, cooperation and interaction and listening to each other. This episode was produced by Jeremy Goodwin. Audio engineering by Jeremy Goodwin and editing by, by Emily Woodbury. Podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.